everyone. Welcome back to Don't Get Me Started with Disability Rights Mississippi. I'm your host, Greta Martin. I'm a litigation director here at Disability Rights Mississippi, or DRMS as we like to call it. Today we're going to be talking about PAMI. You don't know what that stands for. You don't want that, know what that means. That's okay because my guest today, Tony Shepard, he's going to educate us on PAMI and what that's all about. So, Tony, if you don't mind, just introduce yourself a little bit. Tell us your role and how long you've been with DRMS. Okay. Um, well, as you said, my name is Tony Shepard, and I am the PAMI coordinator. And we'll get into the alphabet soup in here in a minute um, with PAMI and what that stands for. But I've been here about two years um, as the coordinator of the PAMI program. But prior to that, I worked in the field of mental health and community mental health centers, um, facilities, um, actually group homes uh, a long time ago and another, another life ago. Um, but this is my second stint here at uh, Disability Rights. I was here um, my first go around 97 through 2012 where I was uh, hired to be the pair coordinator. And again, we're getting into alphabet soup, but always I was the pair coordinator for the first five years um, where I did a lot of education advocacy. Uh, main responsibility was going to school districts for children, special ed children with mental health issues because that was my background. So that's what I did for the first five years. And after that, for the last seven or eight years that I was here, I worked under the PAMI program. Um, again, that's what my background is. Um, I've not done anything other than mental health in my entire 32 years of working. <laughs> wow, okay. So, so, well, let's dig into it. Um, real quick, just a little quick and dirty history of, okay. of PAMI. Um, it's a set of laws that were signed in uh, to enactment by President Ronald Reagan in 1986. It is one of our many federal grants that we implement here at DRMS, as do other PNA systems across the country. So, tell me, inquiring minds want to know. Yes, ma'am. What is PAMI and what does it stand for? Okay, PAMI, P-A-I-M-I, is an acronym for the Protection and Advocacy for Individuals with Mental Illness. Okay. And that's what it stands for. That's what it stands for. That's what the grant, that's what the grant's known around in the office, the PAMI grant and that's the one I coordinate. Okay, so tell me a little bit about what is established by the PAMI Act. Okay, um, primarily we, under the PAMI Act, we are uh, advocating and protecting the rights of individuals with mental illness. Um, we also have uh, investigative authority, monitoring authority to look into abuse, neglect, and exploitation of people with mental illnesses. Okay. And and just like, you know, with our other grants, obviously, uh, you can utilize that access authority yes. to go into further investigation. Um, and obviously, we can investigate not only things that we discover through our monitoring, but people can call and alert us. So we can read a newspaper article or we can get a phone call from an anonymous tip or, or things like that in order to initiate our access yes, authority. Our, our access authority is... Uh, very useful and anytime we get a phone call from a facility or uh, in, in the community and that's something we probably need to touch on also because mm -hmm. the PAMI Act when it was first enacted strictly dealt with facilities people okay. with mental health people with mental illness um, residing in facilities but our access authority once we get a call 
or I get noticed at a facility that I go to, and we'll talk about that in, in a few minutes. Uh, once we get that information, we can go in and look at that person's records, financial records, medical records, uh, their mental health records, their background, um, whatever we need to look at um, in, in, in order to establish the investigation. Okay, so um, if someone with a mental illness is seeking assistance from DRMS, um, we have some eligibility requirements. Yes. So just kind of go over those with me. The primary eligibility requirement is a person has to have a mental illness. Um, and it, that mental illness has to be given by a mental health professional or a doctor, primarily a psychiatrist, a prof you know, professional doctor, a psychiatrist has to give that diagnosis to a person. Okay. And then, um, so one of the things that I found interesting when I first came on board here and I was researching PAMI is that there are some conditions that clearly you would expect to fall under PAMI, but there are some that you would think fall under PAMI, PAMI's eligibility, but don't. Mm -hmm. So can you kind of give me a few examples of those? Well, um, one of them is actually Alzheimer's. Um, that is a organic medical condition a lot of folks think Alzheimer's is a mental illness. Some, some professionals argue that, and I've been in meetings where that's been argued. Um, I'll fall under the, uh, I'll, I'll it under the category of it's not a mental illness, it is a medical condition. Um, the IDD community, again with the alphabet soup, the developmental delays, um, people with developmental delays, those are not considered mental illness. Those are another grant that we have called PAD. Right. That that's those are the folks that that, that work with those folks. That, that that's the grant that it goes under. Um, any kind of medical condition, a traumatic brain injury, mm -hmm. some people might classify that as a mental illness. That's another grant. That's another <laughs> grant. So we're just doing a PNA. That's you know. right. We're just going to cover all the grants. Yeah. You can handle all the um, grants. Uh, I've actually worked under a lot of the grants <laughs> in my 15 years working here. Um, autism. Uh, learning disabilities, those are not considered mental illnesses. Mm -hmm. Mental illnesses are going to be things like schizophrenia, mm -hmm. bipolar, depression, things like that. Those are the primary mental illnesses that, that I see in the, in the facilities that I go to and people that I work with in the communities. Yeah, and just to be clear, just for people listening, that while it may not fall under PAMI, which is your neck of the mm -hmm. woods, like you've kind of mentioned already, we have seven other grants that it would yes. likely fall under, yes. including autism, including yes. things like that. Um, but we're talking specifically about what falls in under yeah. PAMI eligibility, yeah. which would fall under your purview. Primarily that's mental illness. Right. But just keep it real simple. If anyone with a mental illness that falls under the PAMI, mm -hmm. uh, PAMI grant or the PAMI Act. Okay, and then one of the key components of the PAMI Act is the advisory council, right? Yes. Whose responsibility is to kind of inform the PNA of, of issues in the community that the PNA may want to look into. And so, tell us a little bit about DRMS's PAMI council. Okay, um, the advisory council. We have eleven members um, or seats on the advisory council. Um, they're comprised of individuals. Um, who are receiving mental health services or has a family member receiving mental health services. They can also be service providers slash professionals. Um, we also have a legal uh, seat on it. We have an attorney that sits on our advisory council. Um, but at least 60% of the advisory council must be people who are receiving mental health services 
or a family member that is receiving mental health services. Gotcha. And the primary, the primary responsibility, and you were correct when you said that, that we share information. Um, there, that we meet four times a year, quarterly, um, and we actually have a meeting coming up next Wednesday on June the 9th. And I'm going to recruit because we have a vacancy. Okay. We need somebody to take a seat there. Um, but the primary responsibility, is, as I see, and I sat on the advisory council in between my two stints here, our primary responsibility for the advisory council is to help the agency set goals and priorities for the next upcoming year. And that's mm -hmm. one of the meetings we're going to have um, this coming, uh, or next Wednesday. We're going to talk about that. but. They meet in September, the joint meeting with the governing board, mm -hmm. and that's where the priorities and goals are set for the entire mm -hmm. agency. We have advisory council members that actually sit on the on the governing board that also on the RMS's government. The RMS, yeah, Disability yeah. Rights Mississippi. Sorry, but that's an important component to understand that they they can also sit and they do sit. It's required to at least have one seat on the governing board if you're a pay, you know right. paying the advisory council. So you recruit. Members of the uh, Family Council? No, I'm not supposed to actually. So <laughs> let's just raise that comment. Who recruits? Who recruits? Actually, the Advisory Council. Now, I will okay. bring it to their attention next week that we have a vacant seat and I leave it to them to find somebody. Gotcha. Generally, you can call my office or call the office here at, at Disability Rights and there is an application. There's literally a, a, a paper application that can be filled out and I'll be glad to fill that out over the phone if you want to give me a call at 968-0600 extension 227. That's my direct extension. There you go. So please call me. If anybody <laughs> out there in the listening world is uh, uh, familiar with mental health issues in the state of Mississippi and is interested in helping and advocating for the rights of people with disabilities, mental health issues, Please give me a call. You too can sit on the Pandy yes. Advisory Council. Yes, yes. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So as I want to kind of dig into the work. So as okay. Pandy coordinator, um, you've mentioned uh, working in facilities and working in the community. So mm -hmm. I want to focus on the facilities okay. for just a moment. Sure. Um, where primarily do you focus your facility work? Like specific, you can give specifics if you like, just uh, you know, we'll, general. We'll just list them. Perfect. Um, most people listening here in the state of Mississippi are going to know Whitfield or Mississippi State Hospital. That's our largest psychiatric institution in the state. Um, also go to, and these, these are all going to be directionally titled, North Mississippi State Hospital in Tupelo is a 50-bed unit. Um, I go up there about once a month. Um, South Mississippi State Hospital in Purvis, Mississippi, which is down around Hattiesburg, that's also a 50-bed unit. Um, men and women, as is North Mississippi State Hospital. Um, I go down there about once a month and, and monitor and do rights trainings. Also, East Mississippi State Hospital in Meridian, um, they have a men's and women's unit there that I go and monitor. I'm actually going there tomorrow, but uh, I do rights training at all of those facilities. There's also um, Central Mississippi Residential Center, which are state-run group homes. Mm -hmm. And these are for individuals that are being discharged from the facilities I just mentioned, any of those state hospitals. It's basically a 90-day program, and, and don't hold me to 90 days because sometimes somebody can stay a little bit longer than that. But that is a kind of a step-down program from being in the hospital, being in the psychiatric facility, right. to living in the community. 
And these are group homes located in Newton, Mississippi, and also in Kemper County, Mississippi, which is out in the middle of nowhere, Mississippi. <laughs> but I go there, um, I go to those two places about once every quarter, I guess, about once every two to three months, because the turnover right there is not as right. much as it is at the, uh, at the facilities I go to. Um, we also, and I, I, I want to also mention this, that we also go to adolescent and, and children's places. I don't do that. We have another advocate that does that. But we go to Brentwood, we go to Mill Creek, down in McGee, Mill Creek and Pontotoc. Um, there is an adolescent uh, unit at Mississippi State Hospital. There's also a psychiatric unit, uh, adult, uh, I'm sorry, an adolescent psychiatric unit at Riverwood. I think that's up in North Mississippi. One in uh, a place called The Crossing and another one called Diamond Grove. Those are all adolescent and children's psych units that another okay. um, that another uh, advocate goes to. So not just adult facilities. Not just adults, yes. Pamey also covers children. Right. So. And I know that um, when you and our other advocates go into the facilities, y'all provide rights trainings to the residents. Um, we can also provide individual representation for residents who feel like they have an issue that needs resolving. Um, I know you and I have worked several cases together. Lots of times it's you know involving their treatment plan or discharge. Most of the time, right? It's discharge planning. But yeah. we'll kind of jump in here. We we do have under our access under Pammy Access Authority to elevate to investigations when the need arises. Mm -hmm. And so just tell me a little bit about what you as an advocate, uh, when you decide that something needs to be elevated to an investigation, what are you looking for? Well, in a facility, um, and it's two different things, facilities and community, um, but when I go to a facility, I'm looking at um, safety of the, of the actual um, environment. Um, I'm looking at environmental issues. Um, is this unit set up in a way that it's a danger to actually live in the in the unit. Um, I'm looking for cleanliness. Um, we get, I get a lot of, I don't say a lot, but recently I got a couple of complaints on a, a monitoring visit that the bathrooms at one of the facilities was not up to par. And if you remember, we had a uh, ice storm back in February. Mm -hmm. They had some leaking right over the, the restrooms, the bathrooms that they use. And there was mold and mildew all over the place and that was a problem so I mentioned it to folks I needed to mention it to they actually got a contractor to come in and they're remodeling the entire bathrooms and the entire unit wow. so um, that's a good thing yes um, hopefully the contractors are getting a little faster they they're, they're, they're taking their time but uh, that's one of the things I did that that would be an example of neglect um, what else um, what else can I say? Uh, actual talking to the individuals. Um, if, if I get a complaint that a staff person hit me, if a staff person verbally said something abusive to me, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna look into it, and that that involves opening up an investigation right there. Yeah, and those are private, confidential those are private, discussions. Yes, yes, always, always. But anything that that looks like abuse, neglect, or exploitation, that's what I'm gonna. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm going to open up an investigation on. Yeah, and a lot of people, you know, I've noticed coming into this role, um, I spend a lot of my time explaining our access authority. Um, 
you know, we have a monitoring function mm-hmm. and we have an investigation function. And both of those functions under PAD and some of the other enabling laws that we have allow a wide, broad area for the for investigation and exactly. monitoring. Exactly. So we have, we're privy to records. We, um, mm-hmm. you know, in some situations can talk to staff. We can view video. So that's just something that I don't think many people understand about our access authority. Yeah. That, that's correct. We pretty much, as, as long as we say it's an investigation, um, I'll just give an example. Um, at one of the facilities I go to, I had a case last year, uh, and the lady told me when I was on the unit what happened to her through, through a staff member. Um, a staff member actually, she was in a wheelchair, and the staff member actually dumped her over onto her bed. She hit the bed, hit her, hit her head on the floor. That's abuse. That's physical abuse. Mm-hmm. As soon as I went to my contact person at this facility, I said, I need to take a look at the investigation that y'all done. And they had already investigated and got the Attorney General's office involved. Um, but I looked at all those records, made sure everything was done step by step by step. But I was able to access those records right then. If I, if I didn't get them right then, because I mean, I, you know, yeah. reasonable. But I went back a couple of days later and I was able to get those records um, and did not need the consent of the actual individual. I can right. just look at what I needed to look just at. Just by virtue of being just a by, PNA, yeah, we, we have that ability. And that's where that broad access comes in. Right. And we have access to the, the environment they're living in. We have access to all the, like I said a while ago, I think the medical records, financial records, whatever records I need. Um, the daily records that that is there that are done on each unit, mm-hmm. from the social workers to the nurses, I can look at any of those. That yeah. I want to, I can look at programming, and I like to look at programming stuff because that's my background. Yeah. Um, from well, it's ago. about accountability, yeah. right? It provides yeah. a level of oversight, yeah. um, both with our general monitoring because you go on a regular basis, mm-hmm. and also if we do hear allegations of abuse or neglect. Yeah. Our spectrum of probable cause is very broad, and, exactly. and that is because we are there to provide a level of accountability and protection for the individuals yeah. in these facilities. And that's exactly why I go once a month to most of the facilities. It is an accountability issue or, or mm-hmm. an accountability on, they know who I am when I walk in. They, they don't necessarily know when I'm coming, but they know who I am and they know that some eyes are on them. They, yeah. Staff, and I say they, I'm talking about staff. Um, they, they know that there's eyes that are going to be on them at certain times of the, you know, every month. Um, and I talk to staff sometimes and ask them about things. So sometimes I get reports from staff. <laughs> I, you know, I've actually sure. gotten reports, uh, phone calls from staff members. Again, confidential. Confidential. Uh, everything's confidential. <laughs> Everything can be confidential yeah, and anonymous. Don't use names. Uh-huh. But if I get the information, it's my obligation under the PAMI Act to go look into it and and once I get there, then I, you know, if I've been around long enough, I can, I can figure out if I need to open up a full-scale investigation, sure. or do I just need to mention a few things to somebody and say, can we get this corrected? Right. It just depends on the severity of the complaint. So. Right. Well, I want to transition over to talking about um, your panty work in the community because Ooh. I'm going to be getting into a subject. <laughs> I know you know where I'm going with this. That's uh, a whole other podcast. This. <laughs> So you can be brief because uh, yes. you know I'm, what I'm leading into with regards to the, the ongoing litigation. But yeah. just tell me a little bit about what DRMS does um, through PAMI in the community. Okay. Well, the, and, it, and it, 
it, it leads to going to the community mental health centers. Uh, there, there are community mental health centers all over the state that have programming. We can actually go to those. Um, I don't want to say facilities because they're, they're community, mm -hmm. you know, community services. But you're, you're leading into um, the group homes, personal care homes, mm -hmm. the boarding homes, um, things that are dear to my heart because I, I almost I created the project 12 or 15 years ago, but we were given the charge of coming up about 15 years ago of, of a project or systemic issue in the state of Mississippi. And from my background working in, in the community mental health centers, I rose my hand, raised my hand, and with my big mouth, I said, personal care homes in the state of Mississippi is a big problem. Truth. And the executive director <laughs> at the time came to my office the next day and said, it's all yours. And I'm like, oh, Lord, what did I do? Yes. And we will have and, a whole episode on personal care homes. And, and <laughs> we, we investigated them for a couple of, my last couple of years I was here in my first stint. Um, we investigated them and went around the state. Um, and it, 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 it's still a problem even 12, 12 years later. Um, we have Mississippi has a significant problem with unlicensed personal care homes, boarding homes, group homes, whatever mm -hmm. you want to call them, that individuals live there with mental illness. Um, a lot of these residents get to these homes through the facilities that I've talked about. They are discharged to these facilities, whether they're licensed or unlicensed. They're not supposed to be discharged to unlicensed homes, but it does happen, um, unfortunately. Um, but like I said, most of the residents in these homes live in third world living conditions. And I have the pictures to back it up if anybody would like to see those eventually one of these days. <laughs> and <I'm laughs> and, sure and those... we can mention that DRMS is in the process of developing a report similar to what we did yes. with the prison system yes. um, that would shine a light and publish some of these pictures and publish some of the data. Um, yeah. Because what you're saying with regards to, you know, this is kind of where people go from the institutions into these kind of horrific living conditions. Yeah. But if you speak to the Department of Mental Health. <laughs> well, and that leads me to say that the Department of Mental Health and hopefully the DOJ lawsuit, which I think we're gonna talk about in yes. a second, will help tremendously with this. Is I firmly believe the Department of Mental Health needs to do a better job of offering housing services to individuals um, that are coming out of the hospitals instead of just putting them in these personal care homes. And even some of the licensed ones aren't as good as you would think. Um, that's not to say that they're all bad. They're not, I've, I've been to plenty of licensed homes that are great. I've been to some unlicensed homes that are great. You could eat off the floor. Mm -hmm. But the fact that they're unlicensed is a problem. Um, but that has been going on for years. Um, they, they are discharged out into the community and if they don't have anywhere to go, they don't have family, they don't have their own apartment or home to go to, they're gonna be discharged to a personal care home or a group home. And again, um, and when I say third world living conditions, I'm not exaggerating. I've, I've walked through these homes, I've stepped on things and it's, mm -hmm. just, it's just nasty. Um, you've got people that are running these homes, these, these operators of these homes, that they are not trained to take care of individuals with mental illness, and that's a problem. Um, I think anybody that has, has a personal care home should be trained in how to deal with a person with a mental illness. Um, that There's just not enough housing, and, and I think the Department of Mental Health needs to step up 
um, and, and do their part with, with providing housing to uh, individuals with, with mental illness who, are, who would otherwise be homeless. So I'm gonna get, I'll get off my soapbox. So I, could be, I could get on a soapbox for an hour on that. Well, that leads us right into, I mean, uh, you know, just for the people that might need a quick refresher on what we are talking about when we refer to the, the DOJ or the Department of Mental Health current litigation, or even if you just need um, some down and dirty education real fast, I'm going to try to summarize about 10 years worth of mm. information into a paragraph. So... 2011, the Department of Justice has issued the state of Mississippi a letter saying that basically Mississippi, shockingly, has not done enough to provide mental health services outside of our many institutions, um, heavily institutionally reliant here in the state. So in 2016, the Department of Justice sued, and after lengthy litigation and a lengthy trial in 2019, District Judge Carlton Reeves agreed with the DOJ. And um, there was a very, very, very clear showing that Mississippi was basically running an operation that unlawfully discriminated people with mental illnesses. And I'm summarizing. Um, there was a, a wonderful order by Judge Reeves that I would encourage anybody to read. However, uh, that led us into early 2020. Judge Reeves determined that a special master should be uh, assigned to oversee uh, discussions and negotiations between the DOJ and the Department of Mental Health. And the hope was that they could come up with a plan. Um, this expansion, this remedial plan between them, uh, but that failed. So the court basically said, okay, well let's, let's put it on paper. So the district court ordered the state to submit a proposed remedial plan by April 30th. And the DOJ would be required to submit a proposal and a response by May 20th. Well, that has happened. Um, and I just pulled, like I said, I just recently looked at all these because everything has been filed. But essentially, it looks like that the state has, has is maintaining that they're keeping the position they had at trial. They're saying they were never in violation of the Americans with Disabilities Act. And that even if they were in violation of the Americans with Disabilities Act during the time that was covered by the lawsuit, that they have done so much to improve since the uh, lawsuit was filed that they are no longer in violation. So kind of a duplicative <laughs> position here. But then finally, they have provided, uh, you know, <sighs> additions to their services. They have this kind of half-witted expansion plan that they've thrown out there. Mm -hmm. And they've, just, they've stated that if Judge Reeves decides that our mental health system does in fact need more changes, that this should be done in a way that does not allow the federal government to overreach into the day-to-day -day workings of the state government. And that they would propose that any remedy that is, essentially, that is eventually adjudicated be overseen by an independent monitor. So that is what the state of Mississippi has proposed. Now they, they provided a, a very detailed memo. I, I was absolutely summarizing with help from Families as Allies blog. Mm -hmm. um, I have not read that complete memorandum, but I have read the United States, the DOJ's response. And um, uh, so what, first of all, let me stop right there. What are your thoughts? And what I just mentioned about this, do you have any thoughts on the state's uh, remedial proposed remedial plans? As always, it's not enough. It's just not enough, and it's not fast enough. The, well, the state 
and I've been here 30 years. I've been in the state of Mississippi for 30 years, and the Department of Mental Health just does not act fast enough on anything. Um, and they don't provide enough services to every regional mental health center, community mental health center. Actually, you, how, how can you have the same amount of services, or you can have services in one county, and in the next county, you might only have a small percentage of those same services. So how is that equal? Right. So, so the DOJ tends to agree with you. <laughs> well, I'm glad. In their memorandum, um, you know, they have noted that the state's plan um, does reflect the reality that there are major gaps in our community-based service system mm -hmm. that results in unnecessary state hospital admissions and that they are reading the state's remedial plan um, to propose expansion to its existing programs. Um, it did note, uh, the DOJ's response does note that they believe the plan that the state proposed does address uh, the core services that were at issue in the lawsuit. Um, they do believe that the state has set some realistic benchmarks. I'm using some direct quotes just from their memo. Um, the plan sets realistic benchmarks to ensure that the state reaches an initial baseline of statewide capacity. That means we're going to hit the minimum, guys. And they've got a long way <laughs> to go. We're going to hit the bottom. Yeah. And they've got a so, long way to go before they hit the minimum. So that's, that's they scary. said that's a realistic benchmark just to reach baseline, mm -hmm. but that once that baseline capacity is reached, that, that the plan should require that the state assess any additional services that should be implemented to comply with the ADA. Um, so... They kind of flipped over, if you kind of read on in their memo, in that, as we would expect, the state's proposal didn't address everything. Um, they left a few things out. Uh, the, the DOJ is charging that the state seems to be unwilling to be held accountable for, for many of the things that they even propose in their own report. So, one of the things I mentioned that the state expressed concern regarding in their proposed plan was that they want to avoid overreaching by the federal government. However, the government's quick to point out that the only movement that this state has shown toward community-based services has only been in response to the government's investigation and enforcement. So basically, guys, Mississippi, you're asking us to leave you alone, but the only time that you've made any effort to make these improvements that you're touting or even reach the baseline of capacity you've done because we've told you that you exactly. should so it's just another i don't know it's just a, it, it seems to be uh that the state doesn't want the federal government's help but they also aren't putting forth a reasonable plan that they can implement on their own so i guess to the credit of both the state and the Department of Justice, they have both requested an independent monitor to help enforcement of whatever plan eventually comes about. But um, the DOJ goes even further to state that it should be time limited and judicially enforceable for any failure to, to comply to the order. So. Let's hope they put some time constraints and time limits on I think it's important to do. I agree with yeah. you. I think there should yeah. be time constraints. There's got to be because leaving it up to the state, they're going to, 10 years from now, we'll still be in the same boat. Right, so. right. And it, it concerns me. I guess my concern after 
you know, perusing the state's remedial plan and, and, and admittedly just hitting the high points among different uh, sources, which we're going to cite in our show notes. Um, but I've thoroughly read the United States response and proposed plan. And I guess the difference I'm seeing here is that the United States, the DOJ, is concerned that we're just hitting the high notes, right? We're not narrowly tailoring what we need and we're not putting realistic benchmarks on everything. So if you're telling me it takes you two to four years to get to baseline capacity, that's not compliance. Mm -mm. That's just, like I said, bottom of the barrel, let's get it just let's let's get it enough that mom won't look right like we just we're that's not even a first step that's like a half a step right I mean, they, they're not even taking that first full step to to fix the problem right so all the the proposals and the responses uh, that i'm aware of are in for those that are interested judge reeves will be taking up these proposals following the special master's review on july 12th, I believe? Yes, July 12th. Okay. So July 12th, we should have some kind of um, hearing. Uh, Obviously, that may take some time to actually get a resulting order, but um, it is important to note that there is still a special master. I believe his name is Dr. Michael Hogan. He is over basically the um, discussions. He's like the arbitrator between the DOJ and the Department of Health. Um, and so he'll have a chance to review these proposed remedial plans and then it will go to hearing on July 12th. So stay tuned. We may have to have you back to kind of discuss (laughs) the ultimate remedial plan, but it's kind of an interest. It's gotten interesting. I just hope the remedial (laughs) plan is not too remedial. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I hope if it is, it's got some very realistic, but yet urgent timelines. Um, I'm all for keeping it real and like what we can realistically do in a time frame but i think there's a bit of urgency behind this absolutely i mean the problem didn't start overnight and it's not going to be resolved overnight but we got to take better steps forward to get getting the problem resolved so before we wrap up sure one thing i want to ask you know like i mentioned in their uh proposed plan the state mentioned that since the filing of the lawsuit and even since the trial, which was in 2019, I know you mm-hmm. attended a lot of that, if not all of it. Um, they have said that they have seen and have made significant improvements in their services. What is your take on that? Just being mm. boots on the ground advocacy in the mental health world. Boots on the ground. That's a great question. That's a loaded question, too. I know. And it's this is um, a safe space. Yeah, this is a safe space. I understand. <laughs> I, I, I don't care what I say. I mean, I don't care what I say, <laughs> but I'm not, not going to hurt anybody's feelings on the other side. I've been on the other side. I've worked on the other side um, for the for the mental health centers and community mental health centers out there. Um, there are some there uh, there are some good services out there, good programming out there. One that I used to work in, I did for five years, this serve community treatment. They they call them pack teams here, mm-hmm. and I've heard Judge Reeves say pack team. I wish I had a dollar for every time I've heard him say that. <laughs> I think he thinks that's that's the the catch all of catch all. But and it is a good program. Don't get me wrong. It works. We kept people out of the hospital. And that's what it's for. Um, it's a, a, a it's a home based mental health services program. Mm-hmm. Um, it works. We kept people out of the mental health out of the uh, state institutions. Um, we had a I'll give you one example real quick. Mm-hmm. We had a, a consumer that had been in the hospital over fifty times, 
He's the same age as I. I'm, fi I'm 55. At that time, he was about 48, 49 years old. He'd been in the hospital uh, at least one time for every year that he was alive. In the five years that we worked with him, he went zero times to the state hospital. Mm -hmm. So those programs do work. Those programs are out there. But here's the problem. They're not everywhere mm -hmm. in the state of Mississippi. They're not in every regional community mental health center. And that's, that's the problem. My thing is the services are out there. Some of the community mental health centers are providing these community services, and they're, they're doing a great job. But there are some community mental health centers that, that, are, that do not have these services. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem. I think it all needs to be equal. Yeah. You know, if, if you're getting the same services in Hines or Madison or Rankin County, you should be getting those same services in Wilkinson County or Deshomingo County. I know you're familiar. Mm -hmm. I mean, any of the rural counties. Right. Um, if you're getting those services in the in the in the metro area or down on the coast, you should get those services in the Delta or in the, in the rural communities also. And that's the problem I have with Department of Mental Health. There's there. It's not equal. Mm -hmm. The services are there. That there's good people that work in in mental health. They're doing their damnedest to 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 do their job, mm -hmm. but it's not everywhere. Right. It's not every, It's not equal. And ultimately, that goes higher up than, yeah, exactly. than even the leadership in the Department of Mental Health. Yeah. Correct? I mean, exactly. there's only so much they can do with what they're given by state leadership. And, and it, yeah, it all goes to the state capital. Right. I mean, money, funding, and, and I think everybody, everything comes down to money, but the, money's, the money can be there. I mean, the state legislature, I think, can fund the Department of Mental Health to provide these services with help from mm -hmm. the OJ and the federal government yeah uh, and I, I think that's going to need that that's going to be needed I think they need that help to, yeah. to prod, prod them along because if not they're not going to do what they need to do else they would have already done it right exactly <laughs> we, well we wouldn't have had a lawsuit that's right that's right yeah, we wouldn't have had a lawsuit okay so I'm going to wrap it up but I always feel so guilty that I I get people in here and I'm very, sometimes I'm very negative about Mississippi and its services. So I always ask anybody in here to, find, to end the episode, what, can you tell me the three things you love most about Mississippi? Oh Lord, okay. Um, let's see, well, you know, I'm not a, a, a native born, I'm from Louisiana originally, so I know good food. And that's one of them. Mississippi is highly underrated for their food. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking about the hole in the wall places in the Delta to on the seafood joints on the coast to the barbecue joints here in, in Jackson. Um, and, and with this job, I'm, I am blessed. Um, sometimes I think I'm blessed. I get to travel all over the state and I get to try all these different yeah. places. And um, I could write a book actually on the places that I go, but food is the main one. Um, I'm partial to the beaches down on the coast because my family's originally from New Orleans and they had a beach camp. They never called it a beach house because they weren't rich. It was like a camp. Mm -hmm. And I would go spend my summers on the beaches of yeah. Waveland and Bay St. Louis. So I love the beach. Um, uh, the other thing too is I'm a, I'm a history buff and I love the Natchez Trace. The, the Natchez, from Natchez all the way up where you're from. You That's know. right. I've, I've done it all two or three different times and probably stopped and read every historical marker. Wow. So I, I just love that kind of, kind of. I'm, I'm a history buff. I minored in history in college and, 
I think I'm nine hours away from actually having a bachelor's in history. So I just love that kind of yeah kind of thing. But those are probably the three things I love the most. Well, that's great. So we're not. It's not all bad. No, it's not all absolutely bad. not. And it's, it's not all bad with what we're what we do and right. what we're doing. I mean, there's good points in it. Yeah, we just, we definitely see some wins, yeah. and I know we don't we don't harp on those enough because mm -hmm. we have so many things that we want to fix. That's, that's the nature of our job is we have to fix things that are, we have to fix bad things. Right. And that's the nature of our job. I think we probably do focus on the bad probably too much, but that is the nature of our job. Yes. And, so. you know, it's, um, it is, if we don't focus on the bad, we don't know what we yeah. need to work to fix. So, exactly. um, like, I, like I said, there are good people in the mental health world uh, uh, that work for the state of Mississippi and that work at all these community mental health centers. I was one of them. So, you know, I know a lot of them. They're good people. It's just they don't provide the services on an equal basis. That's my that's my whole gotcha. get on the stomping, you know, on my, gra on my stomping ground and, 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 and preach. Well, I'm going to give our usual plug, which is um, if anything that, that Tony or I have discussed today with regard to, to mental health, mental illness, um, if you believe that you or a family member uh, fall into the PAMI eligibility and you need assistance from DRMS, or if you have a friend, a family member in a facility that you believe needs assistance, you can contact Disability Rights Mississippi. Our contact information will be available in our show notes as well as on our website, which is www.drms.ms. Also, I'm going to throw one more plug out. If you're interested in participating on our PAMI Advisory Council. Thank you. <laughs> Tony would love to hear from you. Yes, we do have one opening, and I need to get that filled as soon as possible. Perfect. He gave his contact information earlier in the episode, but we will provide it in the show notes as well. And so you can catch us on social media, Twitter, Facebook. Our wonderful communications director, Jane Walton, keeps us up to date consistently. And until next time, this is Greta Martin with Disability Rights Mississippi, and we are just getting started. The information provided during this episode does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. All content provided by Disability Rights Mississippi on this podcast is for informational purposes only.